Hey, this is Taylor and welcome back to another message from Elevate Retake. Today's message comes from the series Revive and it is preached by our guest speaker, Andrea Jacobson, who is the pastor of Kettering Church. The title of this message is Stagnant or Growing? Your engaged question is what step can you take in your life right now in order to walk more closely with the Holy Spirit? A key text we will be taking a look at is Ezekiel 37 verses one through three. And it reads, the Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Have you ever felt like your relationship with Jesus was stagnant? Have you ever felt like your relationship with Jesus was just not really going anywhere? It's just there, kind of in the same spot all the time. I know I've been there at different points in my life, and when that happens, I feel really frustrated because I don't want to be there. I want to be growing in Christ. I know the Bible talks about the fact that we are to be growing all the time, and that's what a relationship with Jesus means, that I'm growing. But yet, there are plenty of times in my life where I just find myself just kind of stagnant in the same spot. And I grew up in a family that is all about the Bible, all about God. I am, uh, we were just talking about this in the car. On my mom's side, we are fourth generation Adventists. On my dad's side, third generation Adventists, which is pretty remarkable for the Czech Republic. And also, our grandma on my mom's side was a pastor. I think she was the only pastor during that time, a woman pastor. And even since then. So she's was, she was always one of my role models because she took care of their church when my grandpa was thrown in prison for being an Adventist pastor. She has journals that are full of stories of what God has done in their lives. I mean, just stories of miracles, of praying, not having anything, God answering the prayers. In fact, there has been a fight in my family because my grandma and grandpa have already passed away about who's going to keep those journals because everybody wants the journals. So I was surrounded by people who love God, who spend time in, their, in, in the word of God all the time, including my parents. Our parents pray for us regularly, for all of us five kids. They fast for us regularly. Like they will say, we are taking this day to just fast and pray for all of you. They would always spend time in the word of God. My dad's Bible was always open on the kitchen table. My mom's Bible was always open in the living room. But I eventually realized that it is not enough that other people around me have this amazing relationship with Jesus. It has to be mine, right? I have to have in my own personal relationship with God. And just because the others are growing around me does not mean I am. But yet I wanted to be growing. 
You know, ever since then, God has kind of been teaching me different things about spiritual growth. And today I want to share with you a passage where I believe the passage contains the key to growing spiritually, that if we follow it, if we really live what it says, we will be growing all the time. So I want to take you there. It is in Ezekiel chapter 37. So go ahead and turn there with me. If you have your phones, you can also follow it on the screen. Before I read it, though, before I start reading first verse, I want to give you a little overview of the book because it's difficult to just jump into a book and know what's going on if you don't know the background. So God, at the beginning of the book of Ezekiel, comes and he comes into the temple of Jerusalem. And he is there in order to assess the situation with the people of Israel. Not because he doesn't know what is going on, because he knows very well, but because he's now going to be giving messages to Ezekiel to tell the people. And he says, Ezekiel, the situation is bad. The people don't want me. They have completely rejected me. They're saying that they're followers of God. They're still going into the temple all the time and the services are still going on, but they are living completely differently. They're not really followers of God. Well, then God starts giving Ezekiel messages to give to the people and he tells them, I am going to leave. I'm going to remove my presence if you don't want me. I'm not going to keep my presence there, forcing you to have a relationship with me. I am going to leave. And so God does. He leaves, and you see a progression throughout the book of Ezekiel where he's leaving slowly from the temple into the courtyard and from the courtyard into the Mount of Olives. And he stays there instead. But he's leaving slowly because he doesn't want to leave the people that he loves. But yet he knows that it's time. And when he leaves, the Babylonians come. And they besiege Israel, and this is all written in the book. And then he gives prophecies against other nations. And then right in the middle of this book, if you know, if you've heard of a chiastic structure, the, that many things are written in the, in the Bible, the middle point is really like kind of an emphasis. The middle point is chapter 28, where it's talking about the reason for why the people have left God. That chapter is about the fallen cherub, about Satan. Because the people had chosen Satan over God. And then there are more prophecies, but then it gets to the last part of the book, and that whole section is all about prophecies where God is promising to bring them back and promising to restore them, and that he himself will come back and stay with them in the temple again. And it's just this beautiful picture of a new restored temple. Well, in chapter 37, we are kind of right in the middle of the parts that God gives them promises about all the things that he wants to do for them. Okay, so let's start reading. Verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. The hand of the Lord is really just a phrase that means the power of God comes upon him. And so now he is in a vision. And in the vision, it says, I was brought out in the spirit of the Lord. The word for spirit, the Lord, is the word ruach. 
And I want to teach you that word because I'm going to be using it throughout because it's there several times. I want you to notice every time it appears. Okay? So I want you to say it with me. Say ruach. Ruach. Okay, so it's a, the R kind of like the, the R, like Spanish or, or, or European. And then H, it's the, the last sound is kind of a guttural H. It's like if, if you're spitting. Okay, if you're spitting, then you're doing it right. <laughs> Just thankfully you're wearing masks so you won't spit on anybody, right? So go ahead and say it one more time. Ruach. All right, nice job. Okay, ruach means spirit. It also means wind and breath. Now, because of the fact that it can be translated in these different ways, there is sometimes a confusion about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is somehow this force that just kind of mingles through and just has these tentacles and then just touches this thing and then this thing and just kind of goes all around. But that is a wrong picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person just like Jesus and God. It is said about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit, he teaches. The Holy Spirit instructs. The Holy Spirit is grieved, just like a person would, Jesus would. The Holy Spirit speaks in the Word of God, says to the disciples, like, just really just says something. Okay? So why these pictures of wind and breath? Well, wind, as we know, if it's really windy, it'll pick up things and move things around. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit moves in our lives. It's, it's, he transforms us, works in our hearts and lives. Breath, if we don't have breath, we don't have life. That is exactly why it's breath also, why it is described as breath. Because he gives life. All right, so now let's see what the Holy Spirit does. It says, he set me down in the midst of the valley. And when I think of a valley, I usually think of a beautiful place that has streams running through it, green grass, blossoming trees. People are settled there. Cities oftentimes are in in valleys because that's the, the luscious part. It's not in the mountains. You're not going to find lots of settlements in the mountains. It's going to be in the valleys. But that is why this verse is so surprising because of what comes next. Because it says this valley is not like any of those things that I just described. This valley instead is full of bones. And in case we didn't understand what full of bones means... He explains it in verse 2. He says, Then he, the Holy Spirit, caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. In other words, they were very dead. They had been dead for a long time. Wherever he stepped, there was a bone, human bones, all around him. When I think of a place with lots of bones, I think of Kutnahora, which is a city in the Czech Republic that has a chapel. And you can see a picture. If you, you can turn around over there because I don't think there's a screen on this side, is there? Oh, there is. So 
this is the chapel. This is part of the chapel. It is a chandelier in this chapel that is all made out of human bones. I wonder if we have another picture. Okay, here is another part that's made out of human bones. And I don't know if there was another slide or not. Okay, so this is people walking through it. Now, this chapel is said to be to have the bodies of more than 40,000 people. Some estimate it is even up to 70,000 people. Now, why so many bones in one place? Well, they say that lots of those bones came during the time of the plague in 1318, and the bones also came during the time of the Hussite Wars in the 15th century. But the reason why so many people wanted to be buried right there in that area is because there was a monk who went from a monastery right in that area to Jerusalem, and he brought home with him a jar with soil from Golgotha. And this jar now with this soil, this holy soil, and everyone believed that if they were just buried right in that spot, they would, when they were resurrected, they would just go straight to heaven because this would make them holy. You know, a place with lots of bones makes me, especially human bones, makes me just feel this eerie feeling. And although it would not happen the same for Ezekiel because he was not in a place that was just, you know, had like kind of artwork, I guess, made out of bones, it was still, I would have thought, I would think, an eerie feeling to have human bones all around you because you're in the middle of death. Now it says the Holy Spirit speaks to him again, and he's told, Son of man, can these bones live? And he answers, oh, Lord, you know. You're the only one who knows, which is a good answer. Because, no, bones cannot live by themselves, but they could if that's what God wants. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause Ruach to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put Ruach in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So now he prophesies. He does exactly what God told him to do. I prophesied as I was commanded and I, as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling sound. The word for rattling sound is also translated in other parts of the Bible as an earthquake or tumult, something shaking or quaking, because he's hearing, it says, bones coming together. And I would imagine it's just like the sound of bones just like clinking against, against one another as they're being put together. And then it says the tendons and the muscles and skin covers them. And so they're just made perfectly into people. But yet, they're still laying on the ground. Because it says, but, but there was no ruach in them. 
One thing was still missing. And he said to me, prophesy to the Ruach. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the Ruach, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O Ruach, and breathe on these slain. The word there for breathe is not the same in, in Hebrew as Ruach. It is to blow on something. Just like God in Genesis chapter 2 is, is creating Adam and Eve, and it says he blows into them the breath of life. And it's a different word for breath of life than the Ruach. So I prophesied. As he commanded me, and breath, ruach, came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Until this point, they are still laying on the ground, but then the ruach enters them, and they stand up. They are alive, and they're described as an exceedingly great army. The word for army is also the word for strength and powerful. This is not just any army. This is a powerful army full of people, lots of people who are alive for God. And now he gives an explanation to Ezekiel. So we're going to read verses 11 to 14. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, because now they are in Babylon. And they're saying, We have no hope. And they start crying out to God, saying, God, where are you? Even though they had rejected him before. And God says, Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people. I just love the fact that God calls them my people. They didn't want him, but he still calls them my people. I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. He's not talking about literally opening graves. He's talking about restoring Israel. This is a picture of restoring Israel and giving them life again. And again, he says, oh, my people, I will bring you from your graves. And in verse 14, I will put my ruach in you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it. Literally, it says, I will do it, says the Lord. What is it in this passage that we just read that brings life? Go ahead and say it. Ruach. I love it. Somebody actually said it. Ruach. Ruach gives life. But there is an equation that is found here. Okay? There's something plus the ruach that equals life. And the life here that God wants for them is not really just life that's then going to lead to death. It is spiritual life. It is spiritual growth. That is why God is giving the Holy Spirit for that spiritual growth, so that in their lives they're growing constantly with God. What is that thing that completes this equation? It's the Word of God. I think we have a slide on this. The Word of God plus the Holy Spirit equals life. The Word of God is spoken first. He speaks the words that God gives him, and the bones are assembled, and the humans are put together. 
Because that is what the Word of God does. It orders things. It gives us instructions, directions. It puts things in the right place. It helps us make the right choices in life. It gives us direction, puts things where they're supposed to be. But one without the other does not give us life. If you just have the word, it could be that it's just kind of dry or just intellectual, and it's just the thing that we know, but it's not really part of us. It's the Holy Spirit that has to come and make it be part of us, part of who we are, and that we want to live for God. That's all the Holy Spirit. But you could also go the other way. You could just say, okay, all I need is the Holy Spirit. I don't need the Word of God. And then you have people saying, well, I think the Holy Spirit is telling me this and this, when really the Holy Spirit is not telling them that. It's just me telling myself that. It has to be that combination of both. And that is how spiritual growth happens. A couple years ago, there was a study that was done by Center for Bible Engagement, and they polled 40,000 people from ages 8 to 80, and they wanted to see how people engage with scriptures and how much time do people actually spend time in scripture. But what they found was something surprising. They found something that they were not expecting. They found this. That if a person spent time in the scriptures one day a week, that it really had pretty much no effect on their life. It was just like this. If a person spent twice a week in scripture, maybe at church, and then by themselves, it really had almost no effect on their life. The graph was still exactly the same. If a person spent three times in scriptures a week, then the graph just had just a tiny bit of like a little heartbeat, just a blip that just kind of moved. But really nothing. Not something that you can actually see. But then something happened in number four, where this graph completely changed. Instead of going like this, it just went going up. Four or more times of time in scripture caused an incredible effect on people's lives. And I'm going to read you some of the things that they found. Feelings of loneliness for those people dropped by 30%. Anger issues dropped by 32% for people who started reading scripture more than four or five times a week, or more than four times. Bitterness in relationships dropped by 40%. Alcoholism dropped by 57%. Feeling spiritually disengaged and spiritually stagnant dropped by 60%. Viewing pornography dropped by 61%. And the positives were incredible. People suddenly started sharing their faith, and this jumped up by 200%. And discipling others jumped up by 230%. Because suddenly people had confidence in the word of God and who God was. And they wanted to share about God because it was overflowing out of them. 
We all know that there are people, though, who read Scripture pretty much every day, and it's really not making any difference in their lives. That's because of what I said before. It has to be the combination of the Word of God plus the Holy Spirit. The Word, the Scripture, talks a lot about meditating on the Word of God. Now, we all know how to meditate. It's just thinking, thinking about something. We all have things that we know how to think about all the time. They are just there constantly. That's what it means to meditate on the Word of God. It's not what the world says meditation is, that we are to empty our minds. It's the opposite in the scriptures. It says you fill your mind with the Word of God. You spend time in it. I have a little booklet where I have verses that I've had there for years and years, and I just keep going through the same verses over and over. And every time I have something going on in my life, I know that that's where I need to go. I need to go over these verses. And at first, I'm discouraged and just down, and I'm talking to God about all this. And the more I'm going through the scriptures and just claiming them into my life, the more I just suddenly start realizing, wow, God, you're amazing. And you can do this. I don't have to be the one who does this. You can, and you have this in your hands. That's what the Bible does for us. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. You know, for Revive, you guys are reading, um, or for Elevate, you guys are reading the book Steps to Personal Revival. So I read a part of this book because Pastor Dwight, I heard Pastor Dwight at PMC talk about this book a few years ago. And I read the first chapter, but I have to say that I didn't really read anything else after that because at the beginning of the book, it kind of starts talking about how the people read this book and then this is what it did to their, to their lives. And then there's another example of this person did this and then this is what happened in their life. And it just kind of turned me off and I just thought, well, why does the book have to promote itself? So this time I had to read it because Pastor Gibson said, this is what we are reading right now. And so I went and I continued reading, even though I saw that. And I have to say that it's been one of the best things that I've done in this last week, because I pretty much like read almost the whole book and, and like one. And I realized how much more I need the Holy Spirit in my life and how little I have been praying for the Holy Spirit. And I'm a pastor. So you would think that that is something that I do. And I thought that I was good because I had started asking for more of the Holy Spirit because of my job. Because I know that I cannot be a great pastor without God. I know that I can stand here and I can give a message and then people will walk away and say, oh, that was great. But it makes no difference in anyone's life. That can totally happen. And that is not what I want. I don't want to just be saying words that sound good. I want the Holy Spirit to be working through me every single time so that people are touched by the Holy Spirit. And so it made me realize that I need to be asking for more of the Holy Spirit. And you know, on the way here, I had just read the book. On the way here, I was working on lessons, on Sabbath school lessons that my dad and I were working on. So a while ago, we wrote the lessons for the adult lessons, the quarterlies, um, on Ezra and Nehemiah, and then we did the teacher's lessons. And ever since then, we've once in a while have done 
some other teacher's lessons. And at this point, we're writing one on the state of the dead, and we're almost done. I just had to do the last lesson. And I was working on this on the plane because I had read about the need for me to pray for the Holy Spirit. I was praying throughout writing this. And I was just asking God to give me more of a Holy Spirit as I'm writing this because I don't understand everything. There's so much that I don't know. And I need the wisdom that comes from God. And so I was praying through it. I sent it over to, to my dad because he was the first one who reads it. And then we sent it all away. And he, my mom called me that night and said that my dad said, wow, that was the best lesson that she has written. And it may just seem like it's a small thing. But it was a big thing to me because I saw right away what God can do and what he wants to do. And we don't all here have to be pastors. In fact, we shouldn't be. Because you have a job to do at wherever it is that you're at to reach people for Christ. But every single one of us can pray for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that every single one of us can make a difference in whatever it is that we're doing. Because if we're asking for the Holy Spirit to work every second of our day, the Holy Spirit will do it. The Holy Spirit will paint with you if you're painting a picture. The Holy Spirit will build with your ability if you're building something. The Holy Spirit will be with you speaking to the people that you're speaking to every single day all the time. If only you and I just ask. You know, I love this picture at the end of this great, powerful army of God. That is what we can be. We can be a powerful army for God. But that powerful army for God only happens through the Holy Spirit and the word of God working together and giving that life. That spiritual growth happens through immersion in scripture and being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to give you time now, just maybe a minute, before I pray, to talk to God. Just tell him where you're at. Maybe you don't even have the desire to be growing in God. Well, then tell him that. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Ask for him to show you how to be more in his word, how to be more immersed in his word. Because he knows how it needs to happen for each one of us. Have you ever felt like your relationship with Jesus is stagnant? I know that I have. So if you do or you have felt that way, you are not alone. You are not alone because others feel that way as well. But you are also not alone because God is with you every single step of the way. And I know that sometimes it's easy to toss that aside and kind of reject that. But I want you to think about that. No matter what you are going through in your life right now, 
He is with you and you are always going to be his child. It even says in Ezekiel 37 verse 13, we are his people. He calls us my people. That is powerful. That no matter what we might do in our lives or maybe a wrong path we might've taken or maybe we're down it right now, it doesn't matter. We are always going to be God's people. And all we have to do is ask that his Holy Spirit be upon us and be with us. I know I am struggling with that right now. I want to pray and dedicate my time to prayer specifically asking for the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you to do that in this upcoming week. And I hope that you will have the Holy Spirit with you and you will feel that change. I know I'm excited to feel that change. It was a blessing getting to sit down with Pastor Andrea and talk about this sermon because man, it really, I really felt like it called me out. That's an awesome and also scary feeling. I sat down with Pastor Andrea as well as my friend Rolando and we talked through this. That is going to be another episode of Elevate Retake that is coming out later on this week. I hope that you decide to listen to that. Give it a listen. I hope that you are inspired and follow in the path that God has for your life. Thank you for listening and I'll see you soon.